So thank you everyone who had a chance to make it. And if you're watching on uh, TV or listening on the radio, I'm glad that you joined us this morning. Um, Thanksgiving is this week. And, and you know, I, I want to say I get most of my information from TV just to protect myself here. But, but Thanksgiving is time to spend with family. It, it makes us truly thankful. And also, well, we get to spend time with family. <laughs> That was all I got from TV, you know. I, I love spending time with my family. But, it, you know, that, there's a thing about the holidays when you gather with, with family and friends. You, you know, um, we try to have uh, all, all the things set up nice for it. I mean, if you're getting ready for, is this one working? No. I, I'm not working. I'm supposed to be on. If you ain't got me, I'm going to here. All right. So, we can say technology can be garbage sometimes. So I get to stay right here. If you don't like me moving around, you're going to have a great day. <laughs> but, you know, when we talk about uh, getting ready for the holidays, so if you happen to be the host, you know, as a kid, you get ready for the holidays because your mom says go get in the car, and then you end up either spending several hours in it and, and fuss and fight and all that on your way there, or, or it's just around the block. You know, it depends on... Uh, if you got to stay in your hometown to grow up or if you're not. When I grew up, my grandfather was literally on the opposite corner of the block. So we, we walked around a lot of times uh, for Thanksgiving because it gave us the walk back home. And if you didn't have a car, you didn't have to carry all the leftovers back to your house. I learned that much later is why we did that. Uh, but you, you, there's certain things that you do. You know, you get your house spotlessly cleaned. Uh, you buy way more food than that you, you can consume. You, you do all those uh, specialties, those fam family favorites, uh, certain pies that people like, certain, now dressing. And we didn't have stuff in our group, we had dressing. Now raise your hand if you're a dressing person. Okay, good, we, we, we have some common ground here, I like that. Um, but nobody makes dressing like mama does. Would you agree with this statement? Some people are shaking their head no. But for the most part, the dressing that you grew up eating as a child is the one that you want to continue to celebrate with. Maybe you had that little box of recipe cards that got handed down. My wife called, uh, the first, first Thanksgiving we ever hosted, um, my wife called my mother-in-law to kind of get her recipe. And, and, and maybe some of you ladies cook like this. She says, well... You put probably this many this, and you kind of look at it, and if it looks soupy, then you add more of this, and you do, there was no recipe. It was a general list of ingredients, and you just mixed it together, and it came out. Uh, but those who know what they're doing can, can cook like this. But, but a lot of us, we're doing it for the first times. I mean, you are getting the hosts uh, as a family to bring all of them in. I mean, you even worried about getting stoves working and the parsonage and called repairmen and all this kind of stuff, raking leaves, that's... I still have a pile of leaves in the backyard, so if anyone wants to rake some leaves, I've got a few, few left for you. But, but we do all this stuff, and we, we get ready. And the reason we do this, especially for this week, is uh, that we are thankful as a nation of, of getting through you know, these kind of things. We celebrate together. We try to do this in unity. But not many people go through this uh, holiday season just gung-ho ready about being thankful now we do it out of tradition 
We, we do it because we like to get together with family. Uh, some of us are going to have to work on Thanksgiving, unfortunately, so we're not going to get to celebrate. Now, I am encouraged how a lot of uh, stores are now closing Thanksgiving Day, at least, and their, their big block back, blah, 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 spit it out, Black Friday sales will wait a little bit. But there's something that hinders a lot of us from truly being thankful in this season, and that is unforgiveness. It just eats away at us, chipping at us. It could be a cousin or an aunt or a mother-in-law or something like that, that there's just something there that you just can't forgive. And before we start talking about being thankful and the reason for Thanksgiving, we have Thanksgiving, we're actually going to talk about Thanksgiving next week. But today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Because for many of us, with unforgiveness floating around, we can never truly celebrate this season the way it should be celebrated. And so let's look at it. Uh, Peter asked a question in the 18th chapter of Matthew. He, he asked this question. He says, uh, then Peter came up, and this is to Jesus, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. So this is an interesting one. It just seems like an innocent question for us. But now let's put ourselves in the context of this scripture. So this comes from basically the fourth discourse or teachings in the book of Matthew. So the gospel of Matthew. If you ever look at the structure of this book, you will notice that Basically, there's about five sections of teachings of Jesus that Matthew has collected and, and mixed throughout uh, his gospel. Now, some have compared that to the five teachings of Moses to be the five teachings of Jesus. So, you know, we talk about the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. And he structured it this way to, to kind of give a throwback to the, the um, traditions that they have. Well, this comes in the fourth scene. It talks about uh, the teachings of living in community with one another. Now, in our society, we talk about community, but we don't really live it authentically. The closest we get is into our immediate family, the ones that we're actually blood relatives to, not the household of God or, or, or these kind of things, um, because it's our culture. We think in individual terms. Uh, we basically don't need anybody else. We can do it ourselves. I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things uh, of aging is that you start losing your independence, especially us strong men, we don't want to lose our independence and we have to rely on others to help us. But in community, all of this is a part, it's a given that we help those and lift up and, and all this kind of stuff. But in this teachings, we see several things. We, we see Jesus talk about um, relationships. It, it, it opens up in the first of this chapter where, where the uh, disciples come and ask about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. And then he brings in the little child and he talks about being humble. Basically, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. You know, this, this scene, y'all remember this. We've probably been preached on it, learned uh, Sunday school lessons and all this. But, but what does it mean about being greatest? If we have somebody who is the greatest in this room, might be me because I'm up here, right? That was a joke, people. Come on. <laughs> If we lift somebody up as the greatest, what does that do? Someone else can't be. If we consider ourselves the greatest, no one else can be. Jesus lifted us up 
He lifted us up out of our depravity, out of our sin, out of our unforgiven states. And he brought us into a kingdom so that we may be members. And the last thing he wants is now there to be a hierarchy. There is only one king. That is King Jesus. And if we follow his example, he became that sacrificial lamb that gave his life for us. Giving your life for somebody is the greatest gift that you can because there's no going back from that. But for Jesus, he used it as a mean to conquer death and to give us true forgiveness that would last for eternity. And so the first part of this one about community relationships is about all of us being on the same page, being equal, being someone else's servant, because if we're always trying to do for others, there will be somebody to help you when you need help. You will be available for those who need help when you can. It's about service. It's about doing for those who can't. But the hardest part of service is sometimes you need it. And in a community, in a true community, you know the difference between somebody who's got a handout just wanting something free and someone who is truly in need because you know that person. You know what their situation is. You know if they have gone through a, a health crisis, a financial crisis. You know them intimately because you are intimately involved in their life. Now that is a sign of true community. It's harder to do that in our society today because we want to shut ourselves off. We want to still be a part of a group, but we want to have our own way in it. But community starts when we learn to live together. But then he also talks about harming others, placing these stumbling blocks. Those who would claim to be your leader but would to encourage you to sin and go off. Because we stand in front of a holy God, one that purity matters. How we live our life is just as important on what we say and believe. And if we are going to be a part of this kingdom, we have to live like we are following Jesus' teachings. And we also do not need to place stumbling blocks in front of others. Encourage them to live in a way that is other than the gospel message. That is other than the teachings of scripture. Because we stand in front of this holy God. And there is no relationship from an unholy people to a holy God. We have a mediator, and that's Jesus Christ, who stands in our midst. But we can't take that for granted. We have to do our best to live by these teachings. And yes, there will be times where we mess up and fail. But we shouldn't let that be the benchmark on how we live our life. We should strive for doing better and better each day as we grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. As we grow in our relationship, we want to become more and more like him. The closer and closer we get to Jesus, the easier it will be to forgive when someone has wronged you. But then he also talks about that everyone is important in this community. There are no people outside of God's redeeming grace. Everyone is welcomed. We can't say, well, we're only going to go to these people because... We're only going to do this because. Even the Apostle Paul speaks of this type language. But he does have a hierarchy, and that is important to know. And that is also important to understand about this scripture. It is taught to the insiders. It is taught to those who have become a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are growing up, who are children of our church. We first go inside before we go out. 
That is an important message that we leave because all of this is about governing ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so just before this one, Jesus talks about discipline in the church. If a brother or sister sins against you, how are you to respond? And he gives a clear-cut set. First he says, well, tell them about it. Why is it important to tell someone that you have wronged me? Think about it. If you don't tell somebody they have wronged you, they may not actually know that they have offended you. Or there may be a misunderstanding. Have you ever used text messages? Have you ever sent a text message because you're not speaking verbally or in person that was misunderstood? Have you ever got a text message that you were completely offended by and you just didn't respond to it? And then you dwelled on it and got angry and angry about how could they say this to me? And that's not what they said at all. It was a typing error or one of these dumb autocorrect things. But that's why we first tell them, hey, did you know that offended me? And if they look at it and they go, oh, I'm so sorry, that is not what I meant. Your relationship has been salvaged. This is what Jesus taught. But if you tell that and they don't care, you bring in someone to help that show to tell them, you know, this offended me. They don't seem to care. Read this. See if I'm just being sensitive to the fact. And if they read it and say, no, that's a very offensive thing that they just put. And if you both approach them and says, you know, you may not have meant it bad, and you, you may stand by these words, but this is how she took it, and this is how I read it, and this is how I would have taken it. They'd have came as a group. And maybe they would have seen the errors away with an extra perspective involved. Maybe they didn't. And if they didn't, if you even bring it to for the church, which we never get this far in our, our day. We just don't do that because our, our idea of community is so sheltered from what the idea of community in Jesus' day was. That we don't involve the whole church in the matters, but they did. Because for them, church was community. Church was brothers and sisters. It wasn't going to a certain space for Thanksgiving. They wouldn't have thought of it that way. They would have celebrated this season together. It wasn't quite as large as it is now. These were smaller communities. But even if the church got involved and they still, what, what does it say do? Now this is important to understand what forgiveness means. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Basically, keep them at a distance. This is for their own good, because if they are outside of that community, which was so important in the livelihood of this time, maybe they will see the areas their way and repent and be brought back in. But there's not a limit to forgiveness, which we will learn. And we will learn why Jesus says this. But that doesn't mean we just let people hurt us over and over again. And injure us. Because that is not good for the community. If you let a sore fester, it will become gangrenous. I said that wrong, but I'm not going to try it again. You could lose limbs. You could lose whole divisions. And if you think about the, the illustration of the church as the body, you know, if we only have one eye, we may still be able to see, but we're not going to have the vision that we should. If we only have one leg, we may still be able to get around, but we're not going to have the speed that we used to. 
Because there are infections in our system that we need to address from time to time. Because we are a community, we are a gathering. And so Jesus answers Peter. He tells him, he answers him in a parable. I love parables. Parables make you think. Sometimes Jesus goes on to explain them, sometimes he doesn't. But there are these simple expressions that just make you think differently. Now we have to decipher them a little bit for our day because we miss some of the, the magnitude that he talks about. But he tells Peter this. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and a payment be made. So So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay me what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So how many times, Jesus? Seven times? Is seven times enough? He says, no, 77 times. We've heard that over and over again. There's songs written about it. But was Peter at fault here? Well, if you study some of the the history around there, this was a debated topic on on the, the completeness of forgiveness. Because there was teachings on how to, how much you forgive, how many times. Well, rabbinic tradition at this day said three times was enough if you've forgiven somebody three times and they keep sinning against you have nothing else to do with them you you are okay because you look at the sacrificial system that they lived under you could go and pay penance and buy these animals or bring your own flock and these kind of things and have them their blood atone for your own sin if you look at the the uh Jesus and inflicting punishment on those who sinned against others. So we take Cain, murderer, put a mark of protection. If anybody shall murder Cain, I'll have vengeance on them for sevenfold. Or if you look in Leviticus, it talked about sevenfold punishments of sin. If you even look in the book of Revelations, it talks about the number seven over and over again. This is the number of completeness, of perfection. Peter's saying, I want to do better than they're doing in my time. I want to forgive perfectly. It's seven times enough. That is the sign of perfection. I want to make sure that I forgive appropriately. But he wants limits to what he has to do. He wants to 
quell his thirst for forgiveness. Because forgiveness is tough. It is the one thing that will fester for us over and over again. I, about, I, begged, I, I, I have a question. And I think you probably can answer this. And I don't want you to say it out loud. But I imagine there are things that happened to you in junior high that you're still mad about. Now, you may be in high school, and that's probably understandable. You may be in college. wasn't that far ago, long ago. Maybe you've been working 20 years. Maybe you've hit your retirement. Maybe you've been retired for 20 years. There may still be some things that happened in junior high that you're holding on to. You may forget them from time to time, but those people who harmed you, you may see them in a grocery store, comes back. That is not good because it has been festering in your life all that time. Did you see what God sentenced this man to? To be turned over to the jailers. Some of yours will say torturers. For when we hold unforgiveness in our heart, God has allowed us to be turned over to our torturers. Because that one who has inflicted harm on us suffers no ill will. Just because John may be mad at me, and if I don't know it, or if I don't remember it, it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life. But it's been eating away at your soul for years. That's what it's like being turned over to the torturer. But let's do a comparison here. All right, so our first servant, he owed 10,000 talents. Sounds like a lot. Do you know what the equivalent of a talent is to today's dollar? Well, well, let's, it's hard to determine because it was a weight of measure. So a talent, let, let's say uh, I'm your king now and you owe me 10,000 talents. Me. Let you look at me. The reason I let you look at me is because a talent was the equivalent to the weight of a man in gold. If you owe 10,000 to me in my weight of gold, that's a lot. <laughs> Maybe Ashley was up here. She, she, she may be your queen calling you account. You, you wouldn't know quite as much, but that is an astronomical figure. I mean, we don't figure the price of gold by its pound, do we? It's by its ounce. Billions of dollars. There's no way he could pay that off. Just give me a little more time. I'll get an extra shift down at the quickie lube. I'll get it paid off at no time. No. He needed to file bankruptcy. That was the only way he was going to get out from under that. That wasn't given to him. But even... In owing this kind of money, the king was merciful. He, he was just going to sell him off into slavery to get some of his money back. Him and his family, that sounds harsh, but that was a common practice for collecting debt. You may have been a slave, but you still had your life. You couldn't go out and earn your own money, but you still went out and worked, and you had a life. Second servant, what was it? A hundred denarii. 100 days wages. This guy basically had a car that was going into fault. 
You know, maybe he has some tracking in it. They go repo it from him. It's all he owed him. Used car. First guy owed the entire kingdom. This guy couldn't pay off a car. Second servant, unmerciful, unforgiven, doesn't just have him, him and his family sold to pay off the debt, but has him thrown in a debtor's prison. You know, I may not be a very smart guy, but I, I can make a little bit more money on the outside of jail than on the inside. When you're bound and chained, you don't make a lot of money. And that's what he did. He basically sent him to this prison, this debtor's prison. This was punishment. This wasn't a way to collect your debt. This was pure punishment. And so we compare. Who is the king in this story, in this parable? Who's God? Who are we? We are that first servant. This is how we are to look at it. Peter, you are this first servant. You have a choice in your life when it comes to the question of forgiveness. He says, consider what God has done for you. This insurmountable debt that you had racked up. This sin that has separated you from God. There wasn't enough animals on this planet to forgive that. Peter hasn't quite understood the message of the gospel because he has not yet experienced Christ's crucifixion. crucifixion. He has not yet experienced that first Easter Sunday. So he will learn this. He will remember this. And he will teach others this teaching that he may not have understood at the time. But if you have found your faith in Jesus Christ and all of your sins have been forgiven, you are this first servant. You owed billions upon billions of dollars in debt. And you were working at a minimum wage job. There is no amount of effort that you would have put in. There was no amount of deeds that you would have done. You could have worked seven days a week, 14 hour days. You would have never covered that debt in this lifetime. But our King, Jesus, our Savior, forgave it all. Because we came to Him. How many times should you forgive? 77 times. Why 77 times? Now, unless you are a geeky accountant, you're probably not tracking every time you forgave somebody. Seven times you can remember. You've got enough fingers to count that. 14 times you might can remember. You've got fingers and toes. 20 times maybe. 77 times you're going to eventually lose count. If you lose count, what are you supposed to do? Just start over. Jesus is saying, forgive unconditionally forever. But don't misunderstand this as you try to apply this to your life. Forgiveness is called upon us. But it is called upon us as a community of believers. There is a point, like we saw in the paragraphs before this, that if there is someone who is causing problems in our community, in our faith, who's living in a way that is contrary to the gospel message. We are to go and seek reconciliation, but if reconciliation cannot be found, we are to protect the community because we don't want it to fester. 
And so when you look at these scriptures and we look at the, the terms and the topic of forgiveness, keep this in mind. This is about a community of believers. We are to forgive those outside of the faith, but we're also protect the household of God. That doesn't mean we turn and attack. That means we live in witness. For if you look at the scriptures and you read the gospels and you read the epistles and you look at revelations, we are called first and foremost to be witnesses. We are witnesses to what Jesus Christ has done on us. We are witnesses when we uh, partake in the initiation rites of this kingdom by being faithful in baptism because it is a symbol of what has happened on the inside. We don't keep a list of wrongs and right. But we offer forgiveness when we are wronged. And we witness to the world outside of these doors so that they may see the love of Jesus Christ in us. We're not going to get it all right. Maybe you can use just the eraser on the end of your pencil and let God work on you. But if you're like me, I have to keep putting in refills. Over and over again, I mess up. And I have to ask God to forgive me in relationships, in my witness. Sometimes I just want to keep quiet. Because when people find out you're a pastor outside these doors, they have questions for you. Sometimes they're great conversations. And sometimes if you ever turned on the news, they're just angry. And you're the symbol of their anger. And it's easier to be quiet. But we weren't called to be quiet. We were called to be Christ's witnesses on the behalf of those who have not experienced Jesus' love. Why? Because everyone is important to God in creation. We were all called to be in community. It's basically those who have found faith and those who we are sharing the faith to. That's the only two groups. So how many times must we forgive? Forgive until you forget you've started counting. Start over. So as we get ready for Thanksgiving, have a thankful heart. But take a moment to have an account of that unforgiveness that festers. Maybe this is a year that you're just going to turn it over to Jesus and say, Lord, this relationship may never be repaired because what they do, they do over and over. We've tried to get them help, but their alcoholism brings pain and strife. But you know, I am going to forgive them. I am going to protect my family from this person, but I am going to forgive them because this unforgiveness in my heart towards this individual is doing me no good. It is hindering me from the grace and the mercy that you have offered me. It's tough, but I guarantee you, if you're able to lean on the strength that God has provided, you can get through this. You can do that. And you'll, for the first time in a long time, experience a truly thankful season. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for today. We are thankful that you have given us this opportunity to come and gather in your name. Lord, I ask that you give us a forgiving spirit, that you give us a grateful heart, 
because of the sure magnitude of the gift that you have given us. Lord, give us the strength because we are weak. But if you are in us, we can do this. And we can be those witnesses that you have called us to be into this world that is so dark and in need of a Savior. For evil is all around, but your grace is far more abundant than any of us knows. Lord, watch us as we leave here today. Watch over us and protect us. Be with those in our community who are sick or who have lost loved ones. Walk with us as we leave here. Protect us. Give us clear signs of what we are to do. And bring us back safe. It's in your name we pray. Amen.